Well, I wanted to start out this morning um, show, sharing a story. Um, this story is entitled, When I Grow Up, Kids Dream Jobs. And this appeared at, on Forbes.com. Said, the author said, kids usually have a pretty good idea of what they want to be when they grow up and no idea at all how much those jobs are paid. Blame it on childish innocence or fantastic imaginations, but most kids are in for a repeated heartbreak when they get older, like when they realize how hard it is to snag a job as a ballerina and then find out how little one makes. To get a better idea of how much money kids think they'll make when they grow up, we, they polled several hundred children between the ages of 5 and 12. And the author goes on to say, um, the results illustrate how kids think in interesting ways and illuminate the mundane realities of adult life. It says, like, how many kids dream of working jobs that don't really exist? Seven out of 33 five-year-olds say they want to be a superhero when they grow up, making it the single most popular career choice for kindergartners. For the record, Spider-Man was number one. Three kids wanted to be princesses, and one hopes to grow up to be SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Shooting high, right? <laughs> the kids that want to work real jobs were in for a rude awakening as well. Five of 33 six-year-olds say they want to grow up to be firefighters. But according to statistics compiled by the U.S. Department of Labor, firefighters earn a mean annual wage of $44,130, far less than other dream jobs like lawyer, doctor, and astronaut. The fact is many of the most popular kid-friendly careers aren't the best paid at all. In their survey of five-year-olds, five out of 33 said they wanted to be firefighters, and three said they wanted to be police officers, and that's a job that pays a mean annual wage of 50670 In general... The kids that they surveyed showed very little understanding about how much money different jobs actually pay. Younger children tend to grossly underestimate, on average. Five-year-olds figured that police officers make $29 annually. <laughs> Lawyers make $59. And dancers pull in a comparatively huge $165 a year. Nice. Go for dancer. <laughs> You won't, you won't see me in a leotard. <laughs> I'd like everyone to take a moment and think back, way back when you were a child. Think about what you wanted to be when you grew up. My dream was to be Luke Skywalker. But I'll bet there are several former aspiring police officers, firefighters, superheroes, princesses, and ballerinas in here. So why, back then, did you choose that profession? Was it because the mean annual wage for that profession looked promising to you? Most likely you had very different reasons for your decision. So what happened? My dreams were dashed when I found out that there was no such thing as a lightsaber and that Princess Leah was actually Luke Skywalker's sister. So that made it a little awkward. But seriously, when we, when were our more lofty ideals 
about what we wanted to do with our lives grounded by the safer concept of comfortable happiness. You see, most lofty goals are riskier. They may require sacrifice and don't always guarantee a decent paycheck. But I feel like we would rather be comfortable. That seems to be more of the American dream these days. We want to be free from pain. We want to be free from want. We want to be free from anxiety. And most of our time and effort is spent trying to live a comfortable life. But that was not so for the New Testament Christian. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter makes this great confession of faith upon which Jesus says he's going to build his church. Then Jesus tells the disciples that he'll have to go to Jerusalem and that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die at the hands of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then finally, Jesus has one more thing to share with his disciples, and I want to focus on that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read verse 25. Matthew 16, verse 25 says, Simply, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus encouraged his disciples to be willing to give up being comfortable in order to achieve a much loftier goal. Now, the word uh, lose here, and I wanted to focus in on that, really define what, what he means by lose. And as it's used here, it means to lose something that you already have, as a, opposed to failing to gain something that you hope to gain in the future. So, again, the word lose means to lose something that you already have. Things that you can lose that you already hopefully have. You can lose your wallet or your purse. You can lose your cool. You can lose your mind. Those things you already have. So the life we need to lose is the life we already had before Christ. That's what he's saying. The life we lived before Christ was all about us. It was putting the self first, about ensuring that we were free from pain, want, and anxiety. So you may be asking, is Jesus saying all we have to do is lose our self-serving, comfortable life and then we'll get it back? The very next verse will shed a little more light on that. Verse 26. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Now to rephrase that question, He's saying, is it really worth it to gain all of the comforts of this world if it costs you your soul? Or in other words, so if we gain the whole world, 
we may forfeit our soul or lose our soul. And then he follows up and says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now to rephrase that question, what would you be willing to give up in order to gain keep your soul? Gain or keep your soul. So if we want to gain our soul, if we want to keep it, it will cost us something. Right? So let's just uh, pull this all together here. Jesus is saying that if we want to hang on to our self-serving, comfortable life that we had before, we're in danger of losing our soul and an eternal life in the end. But if we're willing to give that up, we will find eternal life in the end. But that's not the message that we're hearing from the church in the United States, or I would argue just in the West in general. You see, the gospel that's being communicated from pulpits all across the United States and through Christian media is what I call the comfortable gospel. This gospel says that God's love will cause him or lead him to let everyone into heaven no matter what. No matter who or what they worship. No matter what kind of lives they live. It's okay. God loves you. Everybody gets a free pass. It's a gospel that says God just wants to bless us. And the problem is, is how we define blessing. We define blessing as God helping us be free from pain, want, and anxiety. What we want as, as Americans. You see, God provides for our needs and we can pray for that, but God doesn't God doesn't cause us to avoid pain. God doesn't cause us to avoid want. God doesn't cause us to avoid anxiety. He brings us through those things. As one um, famous Christian pastor wrote, living your best life now means being excited about the life God has given you. It means believing for more good things in the days ahead while living in the moment and enjoying it to the hilt. Too often we get comfortable with where we are in life and use that as an excuse to remain in mediocrity. My parents were poor, we say with a pout. Before them, my grandparents were poor. Nobody in my family has ever amounted to much, so I guess I won't either. Don't believe that lie. Now that may give a slanted view of the gospel or a a false expectation of what God wants to do in our lives. And I believe that that's dangerous. First of all, I believe that's just not the witness of Scripture. No one in the New Testament lived a blessed life according to the comfortable gospel's definition of blessing. If anyone should have been blessed by God, surely it was his son. But Matthew 16:21 says, And this is just a few verses before the verse that we read. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Okay, so maybe Jesus suffered so we don't have to. But what about his followers? Acts 5, verse 40. This is talking about... The apostles, after they were preaching and teaching out in public, and 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees had them arrested. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Pharisees were kind of talking together, trying to plan out um, what they should do with, with these guys. Because they knew that everybody had seen the miracles that they had done, and they didn't know if they could get away with doing what they really wanted to do. So one of them, one of them gave, gave some advice and just told them to let them go, and if they were from God, then they couldn't stop it anyways. But if they weren't from God, then they would fail. And so Acts 5, verse 40 says, They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. A little further in Acts chapter 7, we, we read the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. It says, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside with their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep or died. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is debating with somebody about his authority as, as a, a minister of the gospel. And Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? To believe that God doesn't care what we do and that he just wants to bless us and help us avoid all these things is it's not just inaccurate, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to us as Christians. Because it causes us to try and save the life that we had before Christ. It convinces us that it's possible that we can have our cake and eat it too. But if we do that, we're in danger in the end of, our, of losing our eternal life with him. And I believe that many Christians today are as what Jesus says in Matthew 13, uh, verse 22. One on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. There's a serious danger in believing the comfortable gospel. People have false expectations, and then what happens when God doesn't meet those expectations? What happens when people are trusting God that they'll be free from worry, free from pain, free from anxiety, free from want? 
And then all of a sudden they find themselves in want. They find themselves overwhelmed with anxiety. They find themselves suffering in pain. Well, that's not the gospel that I heard. That's not the expectation of God that I had. Well, then they walk away. Then there must not be a God. Or maybe God just doesn't love me because he's blessing everybody else. That's just simply not true, and that's simply not the witness of the gospel. Remember the children in the opening story? They all aspire to be things like police officers, firefighters, superheroes, princesses, and ballerinas. Then we had the skeptical cynicism of the grown-up author of the article. Wasn't he just convinced that the children were in for a rude awakening when they grew up? Superheroes don't exist. The road to those other professions, they were difficult. They They wouldn't be guaranteed a job, and they wouldn't make much money even if they got those jobs anyways. So bah humbug. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 10, verse 15? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Have you ever seen somebody on fire for Jesus? Have you ever been on fire for Jesus? Hopefully some of you are on fire for Jesus. What we typically say in Christianese, what we define on fire for Jesus, is a period in the life of a Christian that usually takes place or follows right after getting saved. Now, it's usually marked by this unbridled enthusiasm for Christ and their newfound faith. Is this familiar to you? Does this sound familiar? Someone on fire for Jesus is ready to be uncomfortable. They don't care. They're not phased by any difficulties. They're not phased by any rejections. They're willing to make any sacrifice to serve Christ. They'll climb any mountain, swim any sea. They'll do anything for Christ. They want to be superheroes for Christ. I remember being on fire for Jesus. I remember when I first got saved. I remember going home and telling my whole family about Jesus over and over and over again. And I was excited about it and I was enthusiastic and I I couldn't wait to tell them. I couldn't understand why they were getting annoyed and disgusted with me. Okay, so maybe I overdid it, right? I remember being able to, being willing and ready to do whatever. God, if you want to send me to the most difficult country in the world to face peril and sword, I'll do it. I don't care. I don't care what I'm leaving behind. I don't care if I have to quit my job. I don't care if I have to give up all my possessions. I don't care. I just want to serve Jesus. I was excited. I was on this high. But it wasn't an emotional high. It was a spiritual high. 
Because God was doing something in my life, and I was closer to God than I had ever been before. And I had experienced God in a way that I never had experienced before. And I just wanted to share it with everybody. So I had this enthusiasm, and I didn't care what anybody said. I was going to tell them about Jesus. I was probably close to getting socked in the face more than I knew at the time. But I didn't care. I just didn't care. People in the New Testament, they were on fire for Jesus. Listen to how the, uh, and this, this scripture just gets me every time. It gets me every time. It actually convicts me every time I read it. Listen to how the apostles responded after being arrested and beaten in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, says this. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's incredible. I mean, that convicts me every single time. It's like they came out of their high five and, woo, I got 38 lashes. Yeah, I got 39. Awesome. Bloody, bruised, abused. They had just been arrested. And they're excited. They're like, yeah, we suffered for Jesus. That sounds like a Christian that was on fire. What about Paul? What about Paul? Remember that list? That laundry list of things that he had been through in his life? Paul, he's incredible. That guy is incredible. This is what Paul wrote in another letter to the Romans in chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, this guy was literally stoned, drug out of the city, and left in the middle of nowhere because they thought he was dead. And what happens? He gets back up and goes right back into the city. What would most of us have done? What would most of us have done? I believe that I believe that most of us in here sincerely love God, but we've lost a little bit of that fire. I believe that the comfortable gospel has so saturated our world and our society that with unknowingly 
Maybe some of us have started to believe it and live it. Pastor Mark preached several weeks ago about feeding the fire. About feeding the fire, and I think that it was so appropriate. So what about you? What about you? Our sermon series is entitled, A Jesus-Centered Summer. The problem is, is summer is usually a time when people become even more focused on relaxing, having fun, and being comfortable. Summer is a time when, especially families with kids, you know, they've gotten through the school year, the busyness of the school year. Now it's time to relax. For us here in the frigid north, we got through a really long winter, and we moved right to London fog. But hey, it's warmer out. We can go out and do things now. We've been waiting all this time, and, and winter was long this year, right? I mean, probably from early November, late October, all the way to March or April. That was a long one. So more than ever, we were ready to get outside and let loose and have some fun and do the things we like to do, right? But what happens? What happens to our spiritual lives during that time? I want to challenge you to be a superhero for Christ this summer. Be a superhero for Christ this summer. At least want to, want to be a superhero for Christ this summer. Let's dream big. Let's set our sights big. You know, when we were praying in the pre-service prayer, those who were in here were in there, I really felt the presence of the Lord. And I, I felt him speak to me and say, we need to remove the limits. You see, superheroes, as far as the ones that I know from the comic books, were just human beings that some of the limits were removed. Right? So they had limitless ability in certain areas of their lives. Superman had incredible strength and he could fly. And he had laser beam eyes, which is cool too. But he was limitless in some of his abilities. And so the things that he could do in some areas were limits, limitless as well. And so we need to remove the limits in our lives. Because I feel like with us wanting to be comfortable, see, being comfortable for us means being prepared. Being prepared that when pain comes our way, we can quickly deal with it and sweep it out of the way. When want comes our way, we'll have the means, we'll have what, whatever we need to obtain what we want, and that want can go away quickly. When we have anxiety, we want it to go away quickly, so we prepare for it. We want to be prepared because, heaven forbid, we're uncomfortable for a while. And so in part of our preparation as Christians, maybe in some senses we have said, we're going to do this this summer no matter what. And don't even open themselves up to the option that maybe God wants you to do something else. 
I'm going to be gone this weekend, this weekend, this weekend, this weekend, this weekend, this weekend. And God's saying, I want you to spend more time with me. Well, I have to do this. You know, I have to do this. Lord, I'm on vacation. I know I normally have devotional time with you. But we're on vacation. We need a break. Lord, I, I know we're out of town for two weeks, but I couldn't possibly find another church that's in this area that we're staying in and go and worship you there. Lord, I'm just too busy to get involved in what the church is doing this summer. Just too busy. We got too many things going on. We know. I know that there's a lot going on. Last Was it last weekend or the weekend before? I don't know. Within two weeks, we had three birthday parties, a graduation party, and she had a a wedding shower to go to. (laughs) I know what that's like. But you know what? We still prayed. We still had our devotion. We still were in church on Sunday morning. Because we didn't limit God. We didn't say, God, those are our weekends. We'll see you in a few weeks. Remove the limits. We want to be comfortable, so we limit how far we're willing to go, what we're willing to do. If I stretch beyond that, I'm not going to be comfortable anymore. Or if I, if I go too far in that area, if I give too much to the church, then I won't be able to make my bills. Who says that? God doesn't say that. Can God give you more money? Can God do other things to help you get by? I want to challenge you. Be a superhero for Christ this summer. We can do it. Right? Thank you. One person. Amen. Everybody else is like, oh, man. There goes all my limits. There goes my comfort. I don't know. That's, I'm telling you, I mean, Jesus said, if you want to save that life, you're going to lose it anyway. But if you're willing to lose that life, you'll gain it. So let's seek after Jesus this summer like we are on fire for him. And I'm, I'm putting myself in the same boat. I know that there is a marked difference between when I was first saved, when I was on fire for God, and now. Seek to spend more time with him, not less. We can do it. We can spend more time with Jesus than we've spent before. Not less. Study his word. Study his word by yourself. Study his word with your family. Don't just read a verse for encouragement and be on your way. Because that's really self-seeking too. I just want a word of encouragement. I'm going to read one word, one verse out of the Bible. So I'm encouraged and then I'm going to be gone. Study God's word. He's communicating to us. He's talking to us through his word. Are we listening? 
Here's, here's a page right out of the Experiencing God Study Guide. Ask him to reveal to you what he is doing this summer. What he is doing this summer in your family. Because guess what? God's working in your family, whether you notice it or not. God wants to do things in your family. Ask God what he's doing in your family. Ask God what he's doing in your church. God has a vision for this church. He wants to use us, even through the summer, believe it or not. Ask God what he's doing in your community. God has a heart to save Port Washington and Sockville and Belgium and Fredonia. And he's already going about his business. But ask him what he's doing and then find a way to get involved to join him in his work. You can do it. Or as the, as the famous line goes, if you come to your pastors, you can do it. We can help. Right? Find ways to serve and to give to those in need. Share your faith with others. Be bold. Use the gifts God has given you. And make these a lifestyle, not just a one-time event. See, we, we, we go to one service outing and we say, oh, that, I served. I served the community. Well, when's the next time you're going to serve? Well, maybe in like six months. Did God say serve every six months to a year? Or did God say we need to be servants as Jesus, our prime example, was a servant? What did it say in Philippians? He humbled himself, took the form of a servant. So we need to serve. We need to make it a lifestyle, not just, oh, my church is doing this one service event. I'm going to go to it and, that's, and then I'm good for a while. You see, we're not realizing this. Why? Because We're trying to be comfortable, and service is inconvenient sometimes, and it's difficult, and maybe we have to drive somewhere or do something or interrupt our weekend. Sharing your faith. Maybe somebody's not going to respond in a favorable way. Maybe they're going to get mad at you. Maybe they're going to spit at you. They stoned Paul. He got back up and walked right back into that city. They thought he was dead. Use the gifts God has given you. You know, the the same illustration that's used repetitively in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, is that we are the body of Christ. We all have a function. God, all of you in this place right now, God has given gifts and abilities to you. And God expects us all to use those gifts and abilities so this body functions. What happens when my liver starts working? I'm in big trouble. Or my spleen or my pancreas or even my big toe. I can't really balance without my big toe. Thank you. And I have to wear one of those funny wooden shoes for a while. The point is, is that God has put each and every one of you in this place for a reason. He's assembled us all because we all have different gifts and abilities. And he's assembled and put together 
a complete body with a bunch of separate parts. And that body, all these parts, as they do their job, as they do their function, they're supposed to work together. But maybe we might not be comfortable. Maybe we have to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and do some of those things. Maybe, again, they're inconvenient. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll be interrupting something that we want to do. Maybe we might be anxious or nervous. I spoke with Dick Fister right before church, and he said, he said, are you nervous? I said, yeah. I'm nervous every time. I've preached hundreds of times, and I'm nervous every time. I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable up here. But you know what happens? I come up here, and the word that God has given me in his heart, the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and he starts working through me. I'm not even doing it anymore. Amen? I'm stepping out. I'm uncomfortable. But God is able to use me even though I'm uncomfortable. And God wants to do good things through you as well, even though you might be uncomfortable. So I want to say this. Don't be so focused on the S-U-N that you forget about the S-O-N this summer. You know what we do in our house every day? This is, this is our routine every day. We get up in the morning, and before I leave for work, I help my family get ready for work. Before we leave for work, my wife, my son, and I, we all pray together. I leave for work. I get to work. I purposely drive there a half an hour early. Then I go to work, and I go into a conference room by myself, and I have prayer time for a half an hour. At lunch, when I take lunch... Right now I'm reading uh, Mere Christianity for the second time by C.S. Lewis at lunchtime. That's what I, how I spend my lunchtime. When I get home in the evening, we all sit down for dinner together and we all pray together. Then sometime in the evening, my wife will go into our room and she'll have quiet devotion time with God. Then it's time for my son to go to bed and we bought him a children's Bible and every night I read him a children's Bible story before he goes to bed. And then my wife goes in there. I leave. My wife goes in there. And she prays with him before he goes to bed. And then when we're ready to go to bed, we go into bed and her and I pray together as a married couple before we go to sleep. And I work full time. She works full time. I also basically work full time here. It's not comfortable. Sometimes we don't have a lot of time to rest physically. But that's all right. We don't mind. Because we're stoking that fire. We want to be on fire for Jesus. We may have to get a little uncomfortable. But there's a different reward waiting for us. The apostles, they rejoiced because they were arrested and beaten. They rejoiced. Paul was convinced of the love of God even through all of his sufferings. And you see, we have one more thing working for us, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to encourage us, to uplift us, 
to strengthen us, not to make us comfortable, but to give us what we need to get through our uncomfortable times. The Holy Spirit's here to help me minister to you today. And if you want to use the gifts that God has given you, he'll do the same thing for you. You want to minister to people, the Holy Spirit will help you minister to people. Because God's given you the gifts for a purpose. And you know what? When I'm done here, if God has accomplished something, the Holy Spirit also gives me a spiritual feeling of peace and satisfaction knowing that God has used me. When we get done praying at the end of the day, even though it's inconvenient, we have a feeling of peace and a feeling of satisfaction knowing we spent time with God. So maybe we're not comfortable But the Holy Spirit does minister to us, and we do feel, not in our flesh, but in our spirits, we feel the reward of being on fire for God. I can't explain it, but I hope you've felt it too. The feeling that you get in your spirit when you've spent time with God or when God has been able to use you to do something. I wanted to close with this quote by William Barclay. He writes, God gave us life to spend and not to keep. If we live carefully, always thinking first of our own profit, our own ease, comfort, security, if our sole aim is to make life as long and as trouble-free as possible, if we will make no effort except for ourselves, we are losing life all the time. But if we spend life for others, if we forget health and time and wealth and comfort in our desire to do something for Jesus and for the men for whom Jesus died, we are winning life all the time. Later he goes on to write, the very essence of life is in risking life and spending life, not saving it and hoarding it. True, it is the way of weariness, of exhaustion, of giving to the uttermost, but it is better any day to burn out than to rust out. For that is the way to happiness and the way to God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to invite you to stay and pray, to stay in worship. The cake's not going to go anywhere. It'll still be there if you spend an extra five, ten minutes In worship. Worship God. Pray with God. It may not be convenient. It may not be comfortable. You may have had plans after after service. But they can wait a little while. And you will be rewarded for it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word, O Lord. God, it's it's not comfortable. It's not a comfortable word. Excuse me. It's not a comfortable word. And I'm not comfortable delivering it. But God, I stepped out in faith this morning because it's dangerous to believe that the gospel is about making us comfortable. It's just not so. And God, we don't want to be as the seeds, having the word as the seeds sown among the thorns, that the thorns grow up and choke it out. God, we want to be on fire for you. God, I pray that we would all be on fire for you. 
And God, if the, we're going to be so on fire that if those thorns try to choke out your word, that we're going to burn them up with our fire. God, help us to seek after you. Help us to seek after you, O oh Lord God. Help us to want to be superheroes, O oh Lord God. Lord, if that means I, I need to have faith like a child, I don't want to grow up. I still want to be a superhero. God, I pray that you administer to each person in this place. That they would be that they would be encouraged, that they would be inspired. And Lord, I know that as, as they seek to stoke the fire, the, to fan the flame, O oh Lord God, oh, that they're going to feel that, that spiritual satisfaction, that, that communion with you, O oh Lord God, that you can use them and work in their lives, O oh Lord God. And the sacrifice won't matter. Lord, I'm willing to lose my life in order to gain it. And I pray that we all would be. So, Lord, go with us today. Bless your people. Encourage them, O oh Lord God. Strengthen them. And if they're going through a time right now where they're uncomfortable, where, if they're feeling pain, if they're, if they're experiencing want, if they're feeling anxious about anything, O oh Lord God, let them know it's okay. And sometimes we have to go through those things for you. And that you'll bring us through. And that you'll help us to get through it. God, I pray that as we close this service, that we would all feel like superheroes for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.